It's good to see everyone. I mean, the sun alone puts smiles on our faces, and then as I see people uh, like yourselves return, and I know there's a lot of people online, I am just filled with joy, and uh, it's a good morning to be together. So we are here in this series on love, and, and what a great series to be in. And so the, you'll notice we don't have a scripture reading this morning, because I'm going to read the scripture in about three seconds, and you're going to be able to memorize it. Do people memorize scripture anymore? I hope so. So here it goes. Here's the scripture reading from Romans chapter 12, verse 10. Be, to, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. That's it. If you do have a Bible uh, in paper or on your phone, you can turn to Romans 12. But that's our verse, one verse. Now we're going to sort of speak about love and particularly the, the others-centered love. So before we give in, as we begin, I want to ask you a question. When has someone really been devoted to you? Maybe it was a situation where you didn't earn it, but they gave freely. Maybe it was a situation where you didn't deserve it, maybe by your inaction or, or, or lack of action or bad actions, but they gave freely in love. And is there a situation where someone expressed devotion to you in a way that shaped you at a key time in your life or is currently shaping you right now by their love and devotion? Just think about that. You may jot that name down. You, you may, even this afternoon, decide to maybe write them a card or send them a message or honor them in some way. Because I think the quality of what it feels like when someone shows devoted love and how it's impacted you, that feeling, that's important if you're going to consider how to love and honor other people. So think about what it's felt like for you before you turn it out to the world. I heard a quote, something like this, and it says, we rarely remember what people say, but rather we always remember how people made us feel. So if your parents or in, in the lives of younger people, that's particularly true. People remember how we make them feel, but rarely what they say. Um, so be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. This one simple verse, it actually jumps us into the whole of the chapter of Romans chapter 12. And Romans as a book, it's a pastoral letter from Paul. Um, and it's, it's a wider teaching on life and love in the body of Christ. In this book of Romans, Paul is exhorting the church in Rome um, how to live under Christ in a diverse community of Jews and Gentiles. It's really important to what the context is. So in that context of Jewish people and Gentile people, non-Jewish people like us, there was likely lots of cultural differences and division. There was likely lots of conflict and deep-seated, perhaps even mistrust, just through lack of understanding. A, regent, a former regent professor, Gordon Fee, said it like this. He said, the church of Rome was likely comprised of people who met in separate house churches. So we have to get that in our minds. There weren't church buildings like this. So there they are in these separate house churches. They were likely at odds about Gentile adherence to Jewish law. The Jewish folks were like, Jesus, he came from us. Christian faith looks like 
what it's always looked like through our culture. So there they are in this culturally diverse and ethnically separated uh, house church network where there were probably insiders, outsiders, views of what was right and wrong, godly and ungodly, disagreements abounded. And so in Gordon Fee believes that what drives the book of Romans and the teaching today is what Paul writes at the very beginning and the very end of Romans. And Gordon summarizes it like this. He says that God might give Jews and Gentiles the same attitude of mind towards each other that Jesus Christ had, so that together with one mind and one voice, they may glorify God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The goal being that the people who are different, who sharply disagree, come to a spirit of unity so that God is honored, and that is love. So I noticed three things in, in the verses referred to there, those verses from the beginning and ends of Romans um, that Gordon points out. He said that this church, this different and divided church, would reflect the same attitude and mind towards each other that Christ had. And that with that one mind and one voice, they would glorify God. You see, the, the unity of the church, then and now, is always the thing that afflect, reflects who God is. He's a unified whole. He's the Trinity God. And lastly, so that God would be honored. So I wonder this. Have you ever faced a, a tension, perhaps in an interpersonal setting, maybe marriage, maybe raising kids, maybe right here in the church, and it goes something like this. Something happens, and, and you know you can either be right or there can be unity. You get that feeling like I, I can say something or do something that expresses what I think is right or we can sort of work together and be unified and I may have to lay down the timing or the, the messaging I, I think I have. You can be right or you can be unified. There's probably a way forward, but there's, there's that tension point that happens. So here we have this command to honor each other above ourselves, striving for unity rather than breaking relationships through being right and wrong and, and sort of separating. It's a hard one, and I, I think it really does take discernment. This being of one mind and one voice literally takes the Spirit of God in us, and that's the kind of love that's hard fought. So last Sunday, at the beginning of the series, our Pastor Paul um, detailed how Jesus modeled this kind of love, and he said it was in three ways. Jesus' love is sacrificial, his love is compassionate, and it's then active in deeds. And indeed, we see God's love in the life of Jesus. So I, I looked and I thought, look at the team of diverse, disagreeing, shamble of people who Jesus gathered as disciples. For one, you had women and men, and some of those women being people that had been restored out of lives that were questionable, so women and men. Then you had Matthew the tax collector, the one who had sold out as a Jewish person to Rome, alongside Simon the zealot, who was committed to be an anti-Roman government radical. Then you had John, the one whom Jesus loved, probably a very poetic, loving guy. And then you had Peter, the fighter. You had James and John, sons of thunder. So Jesus not only taught on love, 
He gathered people in a community where he had to live out love. He wove difficult people into how he spent his days. He, he was unifying and he was honoring others, and it was an essential skill, not just a, a high uh, ideal. Love was reflected around his dinner table. A pastor in Canada named Daniel Strickland says like this, Jesus' life is what love looks like when it takes human form. So yes, Jesus modeled love. And we could stop there. We could see Jesus and admire Jesus as some, uh, some infinite type of love that we could never, never reach. As if it were like uh, striving towards an Olympic medal that you've all been watching. Like, oh, I could never do that. And we probably could never do that. But this is different. Um, Jesus' life, in fact, was meant to be a foretaste of what was, is meant for us, for us as the church and us as individuals. And I, I've said this before, the New Testament underlines that, and it says that whoever would believe in his name can be included in the family of God and have this spirit in them, whoever. So we can all be filled with this kind of love. We can all live this out. It's not for the few on the, the gold medal podium. So then, again, commenting on the whole of Romans chapter 12, Gordon Fee summarizes like this. The believing community of Jews and Gentiles in one body is the arena in which all of this was meant to be worked out. Paul expected them to be conduits of love. So if there's folks in your life or your home group or your church or your family that's um, Ah, those are too hard to love. I couldn't love them. That's the arena, exactly the arena in which, like the early church, uh, the Lord says, yeah, this is, this is where love is needed, and this is where you can live it out. So in the, just a couple samples from the wider chapter of Romans 12, verse 9 to 21 is a section that really focuses on the interpersonal level between people. And it says stuff like this, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. So it, it, it's inward, but then it's, it's outward. It costs. Practice hospitality. You might have a chance to do that this afternoon with who you spend time with or this week, who you have a meal with. So I, in this section, I can ask, how is that going at our interpersonal levels? our families, our home groups, and you in, our, in your workplaces. How is that going as you apply these teachings? And then um, in just, just next, in, in Romans 13, for a few verses, there's this love applied to the wider world. And it says stuff like this. Be subject to governing authorities. Pay your taxes. Offer the respect that is due to your leaders. Wow. So I read that, and I'm looking at the news, and I'm wondering, how is the Christian church doing on this account uh, during a time of social upheaval? How are we behaving as society splits up and takes sides and uses their voice in all kinds of platforms online to cause divisiveness? And painfully, why have parts of the Christian church in Canada and the USA and elsewhere been at the forefront of stuff like these nationalist movements and insurrection, anti-COVID stuff. It really gets me. 
It, it makes me wonder, have er many areas of our church failed to heed this kind of call of God's love, the way Jesus loved? And, you know, when so many easily seem to get sucked into the political divisiveness rather than the patient, faithful prayer and taking wise action. It, I wonder, does it mean are we, are we failing to trust God as He would want to affect justice, maybe in His timing, in His way? We're not sure about Him, so let's just do it our way, and we sort of default to these ways that are not God's ways. And again, Gordon Fee concludes it like this. He says, that out of all this teaching, love is the linchpin holding them all together. So again, be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. So then I ask, why is this kind of others honoring love so important? Why did Paul in that early church see it as such a cornerstone to establish what would be the church we have today? And again, it's clear. Paul, Paul lays it out. Right at the beginning, in chapter 1, verse 5, it says this. Through him, Christ, we received grace and apostleship. Why? To call all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith for his name's sake. So then you fast forward to the end. Chapter 16, 26 says this. So that all the Gentiles might come to the obedience that comes from faith. And aren't we grateful for that priority? Because here we are, Gentiles in the faith. So this others honoring unified love seems to be at the very heart of God doing His mission. Loving well, I think, will literally bring people who are currently far from God to come inquire, inquire about joining His family. And the opposite is also true. Our lack of honoring and our lack of unifying love will drive, can drive a wedge between people and God. Our bad example can push people away from desiring the Lord. So this, this is critical stuff. At the very beginning of the chapter surrounding this verse, it says other things like this. Therefore, I urge you, so this is urgent for him, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Wow. So with this command to love and this call to not conform, how are we doing at conforming to God's pattern for our lives rather than conforming to the world's patterns. So it's a high call. And then again, at the very end of this chapter, in sort of conclusion, it, this is what love looks like practically lived out. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it's written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
Yeah. I mean, I could have just read Romans chapter 12 this morning. It's so good. So as I, I, as I prepared and I went through this, it, it, it naturally is, hopefully it is for you, drew my mind to some current situations in my own life. Made me think of close to home. Made me think of my landlord. So my landlord and I come from different culture backgrounds. And what I find about him, uh, he's a, an older fellow, I find him not straightforward. And sometimes I wonder if he's not being honest. But then I experience him as trying to be loving and, and trying to be helpful, but then not taking care of the home. I find our home in some disrepair. Yeah, I find the utility bills not shared properly like they should between our side and then the two basement tenants. And it's frustrating. And I've I have waves of anger, and then, oh, okay, God's love. And I, I go back and forth on this one. And so I read this today, and I say, okay, so my job is to love and to serve. Not, not to just stay silent, but if I need to bring something up, well, I can do that in a loving way. I can show respect where I'm able. And recently, I think he fell on some of the ice. He's a, it's an older guy, and he, his shoulder seems to be a little bit messed up. And he's sort of looking a little glum, so he came over to give us some of the, the utility payment. And uh, I just said, you know, I'll, I'll be praying for you. And he kind of lit up. It's something we talk about. Um, and he said, oh, thank you. Thank you for doing that. And so I figured that's where we're at. It's not going to change overnight. But I can offer that kind of hopeful, prayerful view versus a, a vengeful view that I sometimes often feel. So there's that, and then uh, I was thinking about the wider, per, the wider things going on in our society, how they're reflected actually in my own family and friend groups around COVID. And as we, I think, we'll be hearing later this week and ongoing, I think we're reaching these periods with greater openness, uh, less restrictions. But I wonder, will the most difficult issues going forward in a post-pandemic uh, world not be about the closed businesses and the money lost, because I think those can recover. I wonder, will it be relationships? Will it be friendships and family relationships that are sort of forever changed? I won't take a show of hands. I'll just speak about my family. It feels like in our family, in our, our friend group, there's friends we've lost, or maybe we're wondering, are we losing them? We come from Alberta and Saskatchewan, where the Different than Vancouver, in some ways, there's views all over the map. And so, and then there's extended family members in the States and in parts of Canada where totally different views on this. And, you know, some people have decided, well, we can't talk about that. And actually, they don't even talk much anymore. There's a, there's a couple we know that we're related to. It's husband and wife are polar opposites. So what's their marriage going to look like? I don't know. What's the next visit going to feel like when we go back? I don't know. But I hope, like from the words of Romans, I could, I could be filled with, do not repay anyone evil for evil. As far as, as it is possible for me, live at peace with everyone. And do not take revenge. Leave that to the Lord. So what I do see clearly is this kind of others honoring enemy love begins with me. It begins with us. It begins, I think, with us seeking the Lord in earnest confession and in invitation for His Spirit to fill us. This isn't something we can work up our courage on our own, but we open ourselves and we, we submit to how He wants to fill us. 
And so we are going to be moving towards prayer now. I'm actually going to invite the worship team to begin coming forward. And um, there are a couple people I've invited to offer prayer down at the front so you can sort of get in position there because I want us to invite us, like I said, to perhaps begin this kind of prayer this morning around this theme with confession. We might pray something like, Lord, help me pause. Help me spend time considering what is really bothering me. I often think we, uh, our society trains us to eliminate what's bothering us. Don't go there. It's too painful. It's too hard. But perhaps in prayer this morning, you might let some of that rise in you. What's bothering me? Show me, Lord, even who do I hate? That's a very strong word. Who do I dislike? And then show me, Lord, what does it look like to be devoted to honoring others as a praise to you? What does that look like in this situation? Let me just say a quick prayer, and the worship band is going to lead us. Lord Jesus, we need you. We need you so much to fill us with this love. The world needs you. This is the call that we would and will draw people to you. So Lord, start it in us this morning. Be with us as we pray and worship now. Amen.